I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Hey, Seth. How's it going? I'm great. How are you, Jonathan? I'm doing okay. It's good to see you. And, you know... I have a really important question for you. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to only be able to taste your food by licking it while it's outside your mouth or have to eat by shoving your food through your ears? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, okay. I, I think I'm going to go with tasting the food while it's outside of my mouth because while both of these are terrible options that one still allows me to use my teeth for chewing which i think is better than trying to grind up and compress my food to the extent that it fits into my ear it's a very logical uh logical response i also appreciate how you talked about like licking it while it's outside your mouth your listeners can't see this but you like held your fingers up in front of you like you had a like petite bite of food that you were gonna like very respectfully taste and then and then chew and consume it whereas i was thinking about when i wrote this question like you've got a plate of food and you just have to like lick it on the plate to be able to taste everything <laughs> but i guess i guess because of the way that you reframed it that possibility makes me think that that's still probably the best option. I couldn't bring myself to write a, write an option where you're like where your ears were mouths and you had like teeth on both sides of your head too. That would have been weird. But you're right. Ear eating just sounds like way too much work. Would you also hear it? While it was... Oh no! <laughs> yeah, that would be right. terrible. <laughs> this is clearly this is clearly the worst option. I'm also curious about if like in this situation, do you have? any ability to consume like without just like forcing food in like can you just stick a straw uh, in your ear and drink your milkshake yeah. that way that, that could be convenient <laughs> maybe <laughs> basically do your do your ears have the ability to suck through a straw <laughs> that's the that's the crux of the issue and if the answer is no i'd still go with external mouth licking Okay, I'm really interested to see if and how this connects to our passage. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I was going to be able to take this question, but it just defeated me. It really, really licked me. You know what I'm saying? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just read the passage. <laughs> okay. This is James, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. From the New International Version. 
Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I've seen some of our tongue imagery, or at least a lot of it, from our <laughs> what would you do in this particular situation. But why did you go with the new international version for today? Yeah. Well, I thought the question, since we're back in James again this week, I thought I'd connect to our reading from the last time we were in James about be, being doers of the word and not hearers only with your ears. And then, obviously, the connection between licking and tongues is pretty clear. But I digress. The NIV this week, honestly, it was a little bit sentimental. I have a lot of memories of this passage when I was growing up, and in my childhood especially, the NIV was the translation of choice that I remember the most often in our church, in our house. It just, it stands out, and there's some familiar language here. So, honestly, it's a stressful time of year for me, so I just made a choice that made me a little more comfortable. But the NIV is obviously one of the most commonly read English translations of the Bible, too. So, I think it's worth exploring. But as you read this passage from James 3, what were some of the things that stood out to you the most? Okay, I love this line. Where all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by people. But no human being can tame the tongue. Like, what an interesting line. I don't know. I guess I think that I have a modicum of control over my tongue. But this, at least throughout this whole passage, the author seems to be like, no, the tongue's kind of just doing whatever it wants. Like it's it's spewing things that are unhelpful, that are hurtful even, and you can't really control it. I want to make one modification to verse 5 and say, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a gender reveal party. Is that too soon? Yes. Okay, sorry. 
Yeah, Seth, I think you're you're highlighting some of the imagery here that is so powerful. You know, there's so many, they don't really mix metaphors, but the metaphors here, just one after the, another, they're talking about how a bit in the mouth of a horse allows the, the person riding it to control it, or the rudder of a ship allows just what is, in comparison, a relatively tiny piece can steer a great ship. It, that those contrasts there and then another one there with fire and then this taming of animals there's this real strong portrayal of here's what could be you know the ship could be directed in a certain way the horse can be guided in a certain way and yet the tongue though it operates in a similar fashion directs us all over the place <laughs> and yeah. often in ways that are really hurtful or destructive yeah i'm wondering in line seven like, like i was talking about earlier like we talk about animals being tamed but like even animals that are tamed or trained at least i'll, I'll only speak for myself and my dog marshall like he listens but like still just some of the time Right. Like, and maybe that's a better way for me to start thinking about my own tongue. I control it, but maybe still just some of the time. Yeah. That's one of the things, too, is that, and you know, I think you probably are right there with me, Seth, in knowing so many people of faith who are so restrictive in some of the ways that they speak. You know, they will or won't say certain words or talk about certain things because it's in a, improper or inappropriate. And based on this passage, it seems like even that level of restriction, even that level of taming, to use the language of the passage, <laughs> does not remove the power of the tongue in terms of yeah. being able to guide or direct you into life or away from it. <laughs> and I don't know, those are just some of the questions that come up for me. But I think, Seth, going back to this imagery that you pointed out, this is one of the things that I really appreciate about the book of James, is that it has a lot of connections and parallels to a lot of wisdom literature that we see in the Hebrew Bible in particular. And I think you touched on this a little bit in our episode a couple weeks back on James 1. But it does take on that pattern of saying, here is wisdom, here is not wisdom, or here is folly <laughs> or foolishness. It's like, it's very much this dichotomy of either you are on the right path or you're away from the right path. And the tongue becomes the instrument of how you, you make that decision. And I think this passage is actually a perfect example of how much like, I would say especially like Proverbs that the book of James feels um, because it's not it's not addressed to a particular audience, and there are lots of questions about who James is. But this is it truly feels like wisdom literature that is so deeply ingrained with Jesus's teachings. Mark Allen Powell talks a lot about this, but uh, there's not a lot of Jesus quoting. But G the words that Jesus utters in the Gospels are like so integrated, or like one step away from some of the things that come through in James. And that just has this very strong Proverbs feel of like these short, quippy things, these powerful images that can communicate a point that goes a little bit deeper just than the words themselves. 
Yeah. I also thought it would be appropriate to test you on some tongue facts since the tongue is brought up so much. <laughs> okay. Instead of just doing a deep dive on the the biblical book that we're in. I thought that tongues <laughs> would be fun to let's, let's do it. Explore too. So true or false. Okay. The tongue is the only place where you have taste buds. True. That's actually false. There are taste buds found on the insides of our cheeks, on our lips, hmm. on the roof of our mouth, and even like under the tongue. Okay, well I think under the tongue counts as the tongue. Not like the bottom of the tongue, like the like the like the stuff. floor of the mouth. Yeah the, yeah, the floor of your mouth, not the roof, but the floor. <laughs> so you can taste outside of your mouth. As yeah, it and I think you've experienced. And that I too. can, you yeah, really eaten, you're, you've eaten like yeah, real now spicy that I think food. About it, exactly, you didn't even get it in your mouth yet, and you're like your lips touch it and yeah. it's burning. Should have gotten that one. It's okay. Okay, last question. What is essential for the tongue to taste things? Oh, this is open-ended. I don't... This isn't multiple It is. Choice. It's not true or false. <laughs> okay. You've got more than a 50-50 chance. It's something that's around or usually on the tongue most of the time. Saliva. That's right. You got it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. If your tongue is dry, you can't taste stuff. That's part of the reason saliva is is there i mean it, it helps with digestion of course too but it's as things are breaking down because of saliva it's when things are breaking down that taste becomes possible so anyways random facts about the tongue good job i'll give you a passing a, a passing grade on my pass fail quiz but i i think it is it is worth saying though that with the wisdom tradition this passage goes into you know, kind of using the imagery of certain parts of the body to kind of think and reflect about the human experience. It's not about the muscle of the tongue, but it's this is using the tongue to talk about the agency of speech and communication and how that can be a really dangerous or destructive possibility for us as we think about our behavior. So does, does anything else about the passage stand out to you, though? I think in the way that I've been, been talking about this passage, I've been emphasizing the way that the tongue can be used negatively. But I also want to just note that that's not the way that James talks about the tongue, right? Like the author opens up the possibilities that it can certainly be negative, but that the tongue is also used to praise our Lord and Father. So all that to say is I've been, I've been attracted to the negative parts of this passage. Yeah. But... But the author also recognizes the way that the tongue can be helpful. Yeah. Well, that's actually a really good transition to conversation about what a point of this passage is. And I'm actually thinking what came to mind as I thought about this was another passage that was really impactful during my childhood, which was the verse Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4, Matthew 12, 34, where Jesus is in the middle of just roasting the Pharisees. <laughs> And he says at the end of verse 34 in Matthew chapter 12, for it is out of the outpouring of the heart that the mouth speaks. And that, that theme is elsewhere in scripture too. But it's clear that I think here in James, 
but also elsewhere in scripture. And I'd also, I'd also say in our own experience that we know that speaking is a manifestation of something deeper. You know, speaking is maybe the culmination or a further step in us, those of us who are able to, you know, speak orally. It's culminating, you know, putting thoughts into communication and taking those steps to share ideas with one another. Like, it's not talking itself that is, it, it doesn't happen in isolation because mm-hmm. it, it is both the result of so much that goes on internally for us, but it's also the beginning of something. It's also the beginning of developing a, a pattern of communication because you can talk and maybe this is what we're doing with our podcast, but you can talk and no one can listen. Yeah. <laughs> and and what, is that, what does that mean for the things that you're saying, you know? And I guess, I guess really right now I'm thinking about exactly that dynamic that you brought up, Seth, that in this same passage, we hear that no human being can tame the tongue, that it's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. And we hear in the very next line, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. And there's this acknowledgement that the tongue, our ability to communicate is both very destructive and very central to the life of faith. And so my question becomes, how do we balance speaking in ways that are not destructive, that are not harmful, while also speaking truth in situations that demand it of us. Because I've always heard this passage interpreted, basically, don't be mean to other people. Like, being being mean or speaking poorly about someone is like the ultimate way to betray the spirit behind this passage. But we also see in James... We see in the Gospels ways that Jesus' words heal and call out the hypocrisy and the BS that's going on in a number of spaces, too. So what do you think? What comes to mind when you think of that balance between not wanting to harm others, but also needing to speak truth at certain times? Okay, let me tell a little story. Just the other day, I was on Twitter, and someone commented that if we're... If we're going to talk about the gospel, then it will be good news to some, but it will inevitably be bad news to others. Like people in positions of power and privilege. Mm -hmm. And and I think actually that that is too limited for me. That if the gospel is going to be really good news, it's even somehow going to be good news for those people who are in positions of power and privilege, it's just going to be a different type of good news. Hmm. Like, so I'll just use an example because he's, this is, this is like my punching bag of Jeff Bezos, (laughs) but like (laughs) for Jeff Bezos to distribute his money seems at first glance, like it's like, it's bad news to him. But I actually think what's good news is that his worth is not 
predicated on the amount of money that he has. So my hope is that he will hear that somehow as good news. That the bad news and the good news are always kind of intertwined with each other in a way. Right. But there is good news too. Right? So even people who are in positions of power, it might be bad news right? to them. It might seem like bad news that they're they're going to lose that power. But I also think the good news is that they matter irrespective of their position and the power that it carries and the way that they can control others. Yeah. And in a sense, the ways that the gospel and the reign and realm of God overturn some of those systems expose the ways that folks who hold that power lean on it for their own security and as you said, their own sense of worth and identity and being able to free them from that is a different kind of liberation that I think ultimately is, I'm with you, is good news as well. I think two situations where even when we're thinking about things that we've said that are inappropriate or when we've spoken out of turn or most, most importantly, speaking in ways that intentionally or not are really dehumanizing to others. So if we're using language or telling jokes that are racist or sexist, anything like that, I think we get into a lot of challenges now because we are really hard-pressed, as you were kind of getting at, to separate our identities from our behavior. Hmm. And so if I say something that is derogatory towards people of color, and you call me on it, and you say, and you say "Hey, Jonathan, that was that was a racist thing to say." What often happens out of a place of defensiveness is I say, "Oh, I'm not a racist. That's not what I meant." Because my words are so closely tied to my identity, and I think one of the ways that we can start to balance those those tensions between, you know, speaking truth and speaking, uh, as the hymn goes, speaking wonderful words of life, uh, Mm. you know, Mm. the balance between those things, I think has to come in an environment, whether it be in the context of a relationship or in a community where we realize that our worth and value is not tied up in, I would say our words and actions, uh, kind of our speech as part of our actions that we identify mistakes, that we identify harm that we do to other people, not as acceptable, not as okay, but not, but also say that it does not affect our standing with God, our standing, you know, as we view each other as human beings. Again, not to say there are no consequences for our actions when it comes to leadership or other, you know, other responsibilities like that. But if we can begin to separate our words and behavior from our sense of self, we can start to then say, man, that thing that I said was really stupid. Rather than saying, I'm so stupid for saying that. Hmm. That slight shift allows us then to recognize that our tongues maybe can't be tamed, but we are not just our tongues. We are so much more than Hmm. that. We are yeah. beings that, that again, bring forth 
fresh water and salt water, as we heard in this passage. And it's really hard to separate that from our sense of from our sense of identity, especially when we don't want to be salty. We don't want to be hurtful. <laughs> but recognizing that when we do, that there are ways to respond to it rather than just constantly trying to avoid speaking in a way that's inappropriate or acting inappropriately, but instead embracing grace, I think can be a way that we can try to navigate some of that. For me, part of part of what makes it difficult to kind of disentangle my my worth from my actions, and I'll put, just like you were talking about, speech with actions, is like I also think that that I find where I try to find my actions usually positive and empowering and therefore like I can hopefully find like positive self-worth there which I guess is just like another way in which like I'm trying to to like find some sort of security hmm. but we're kind of talking about like a much bigger shift here like we keep talking about it about finding our worth and our identity somewhere else and that helps us not to identify and be overcome by the things that we do wrong but also not to be kind of bolstered and boast about the things that we do right too honestly seth it's this kind of conversation that though this perspective has changed for me over the course of my life it makes me a big believer in the practice of infant baptism because the practice of baptism in traditions that baptize babies say god has done enough for you to be considered part of this family and it centers god in the conversation rather than us and our personal personal choice or and and personal faith which I, i don't think is a bad thing either but i think those different practices of baptism are really just telling different stories and the practices yeah. in both those stories make sense because of those stories. I just find the story of a God who has done so much that even a little baby who truly needs the tender care of a parent to survive, let alone make any profession of faith. <laughs> like God says that that human is already has already done enough. And it's so sad that as we continue to grow that we think, oh yeah, I need to keep doing more and more rather than seeing our lives through that through that lens instead. Here's where I get myself in trouble. I'm for infant baptism and its story because I think that my theology should be about God. And I think to baptize adults after a profession of faith is a a story and a narrative that centers people. Yeah, I'm with you. That's I mean that's the difference in those different stories that 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 they tell. And I'm just thinking about that as it relates to this passage in particular. Thinking about how dangerous the tongue can be, how dangerous our words can be. It all takes on a different meaning when we start thinking about not only when I start with my own identity, as God's beloved child. But when those about whom I'm speaking or to whom I'm speaking, when I start remembering their identity as God's beloved child too. Mm. 
And that's a space where I have real hard time sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can I pray for us about that? Absolutely. Great. Let's pray. Living one, at times we cannot tame our tongues. We utter hurtful words without thinking and fail to tell one another the truth. Help us to let our lives, and not just our words, bring forth blessings to others. Mindful of the many names by which your children cry out to you from all over the world, I pray in the name of the one who healed by his very words, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Seth, what story will we tell next week? Next week, we're going back to the Gospel of Mark. We're talking about chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. Jesus predicts his death again. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. I feel like that was sort of a rough transition. Jesus predicts his death, but find us on Twitter and Instagram. But thanks for walking us through that story, Jonathan. Thanks for helping me tell it. Bye.